Father God, we are here because of that. We're here because of how great you are. God, if it, it weren't for your goodness, if it weren't for your grace, I, I, I'm scared to think about where we would be. I, I can't begin to imagine living in a world, living in a reality without the greatness of you. So God, this morning as we open your word, would you meet with us? God, would you just very graciously meet with us, speak to our hearts? God, there are people in here who need to hear um, your message of comfort. They need to hear your encouragement. God, there are people in here who are broken and hurting and they need you this morning. So God, meet with us. Be close to us. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, before we get started uh, this morning, again, I, I, as I say it every week, um, every Wednesday, 12 to 1 in this room, come pray with us. Uh, come pour your heart out to God with us. If you can come in for 10 minutes, come in for 10 minutes. If you can literally walk through the room and say, okay, I'm going to pray right now, and then you're gone, fine, all right? Like, come in here, pray with us on Wednesdays. And we're also doing Fighter Verses. Uh, I say this every week, fighterverses.com. You can order them there. If you have an iPad or an iPhone, uh, then you need to spend your money more wisely. But if you do, own those things, then you can get the Fighter uh, app, Fighter Versus app. Uh, also, if you look in your bulletin, Tommy McCall has done something ingenious. He's printed the Fighter Verse in there, all right? So the Fighter Verse for this week is in the bulletin. Go ahead, give it up for Tommy. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. Where are you, Tommy? All right, doesn't matter. Uh, so anyway, uh, so he's done that for you, which is really, really cool of that man. Um, this Saturday night, uh, we are doing our monthly Saturday, uh, Saturday night theology and culture service, uh, and we are covering the topic of world religion and the call of Christ. Um, as you came in, you saw, a, uh, you saw this, the things on the door. If you didn't come in this door, exit through those doors. You'll see the little uh, 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 sheet sign thing sticking on the door. Um, we're going to be talking about... Uh, uh, Mormonism, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, Buddhism, Islam, uh, Hinduism, any other isms I can think of. Uh, we're also even going to talk about Catholicism. And we're going to look at the call of Christ in all of this. Um, what do they say about Jesus? What do they say about the human condition? And then what does that have to do with our call to go and tell the truth of Jesus? What is our responsibility to all of those people groups in this world? So we're going to look at that this Saturday, 7 o'clock to 8.30 in this room. I'm really excited about it. Um, this is a great thing to bring people to for the first time. Uh, number one, it's on a Saturday, and there's just something about a Sunday morning that just makes people go, Ugh. So anyway, so bring them on a Saturday night, uh, um, and uh, the the... The band, the full band's going to be here. It's going to be awesome, and um, and hopefully we'll answer some questions. Maybe you guys have even been wondering about. So that'll be this Saturday. So I, I hope that you'll be there with us. Um, as always, I, I always say this: that you're going to need your Bible. You will need it today. All right. So if you don't have your Bible, um, you can. I, I don't know if they're even in the chairs. If they are, grab them. If there's someone next to you and you're quicker than them, take it. Um, and uh, we haven't we haven't talked about stealing it. So you're good. Uh, but also, uh, if, you have a, if you have a smartphone, you can go to uversion.com. If you have a BlackBerry, Android, or an iPhone, you can download that. I won't think you're texting. Your neighbor will, but I won't, all right? So it's okay if, if you use those. Um, that is acceptable as well. Um, 
So this looks familiar, doesn't it? Uh, uh, marriage in America is huge business. It's big business, okay? Like we've got a whole network about it. There are magazines galore about it. Uh, and in each one of those is a ton. Um, $72 billion per year I spent on weddings. $72 billion. Yeesh. All right. And the average wedding budget. All right. Who in here has a daughter that's not married yet? Okay. This is going to be funny. All right. Here we go. The average wedding budget is $20,000. $20,000. That's the average. Now, daughters in this room that aren't married and your dads are in this room, let me tell you something. That is the average. And if he only spends $20,000 on you, that means that he thinks you are average. All right? <laughs> Hear me on that. All right. $19 billion per year is spent on wedding gift registries. Uh, so stop buying so many toasters. $8 billion per year spent on honeymoons. The average honeymoon budget, all right? Guys in this room, if you are unmarried, this usually falls on you. Now, this will fall on you. Are you ready? The average honeymoon budget, $3,657. Now, let me ask you a question. Guy, uh, are there any, are there any uh, uh, couples in here maybe looking to getting married or maybe even thinking about it? Don't raise your hand, all right? I know you guys don't do it. It's a trap. But anyway... Think about it like this. Girls, if he only spends $3,657, he is saying that what you have is average. All right? So remember that. All right. We're, we're going to get some letters this week. That's what I'm looking for. All right. Letters is 2011. We'll get emails. All right. This is really common. It's super common. And, you know, like, uh, when it gets around wedding season, which is coming up, oh, my gosh. I remember around our wedding, it seemed like, like, I, I'm a trendsetter. I get it. And so we got married, so everyone else got married, all right? And there was a wedding, like, every weekend. And we went so much. It was so common. Like, I knew exactly. I could, I could look out there, and I'd say, that guy right there is going to sing the prayer. And uh, they're going to have that old lady right there, the one, yeah, the one that you can't even stand up. She's going to read First Corinthians 13. Like, you know who's like what's gonna happen it's it's that common right and so um uh, and and so we would even like at some weddings not we my terrible friends would try to we would try to make bets who's gonna pass out like of all the groomsmen which one's gonna fall over and I actually won one time so anyway um but and so it's it's really really common and, and one of the things you know what's not common is people being married so long Henry Ford uh, he was married 50 years and someone asked him how do you do it and he said it's the same thing it's the same concept of making automobiles stick to one model so anyway uh, so so that that's marriage marriage is so common but however unfortunately just as common as marriage is so is divorce divorce is very common in our culture first time marriages people being married for the first time 45 to 50 percent end in divorce now i want to correct something because a lot of times pastors will say and it's the same way in the church they're 50 percent of marriages end in divorce in the church that's not very hopeful you know what i mean like that doesn't make me very confident in the church does it like 45 to 50 percent in the church even in a divorce it's not true uh the barna group did a study recently and, and people who call themselves christians yes that's true 50 percent. however people who are actively involved in evangelical churches it's 36 percent. now that's still not good i'm not proud of that number but it's still showing that that there is some truth uh to to what the church uh what god can do through the church um and so it's very, it's very, very common. And, and George Barna, the, the man who did this study on, on divorce and marriage, um, he said this about, uh, about the Americans that he interviewed. He says, 
There no longer seems to be much of a stigma attached to divorce. It's now seen as an unavoidable rite of passage. Interviews with young adults suggested that they want their initial marriage to last, but are not particularly optimistic about the possibility. There's also evidence that many young people are moving toward embracing the idea of serial marriage, in which a person gets married two or three times, seeking a different partner for each phase of their adult life. I want to be clear real quick before we move on. Malachi 2.16 says God hates divorce. God is so kind. God is so gracious to us. And there is restoration and there is forgiveness and there is healing in God. But I don't want us to, to get this lax, uh, lackadaisical attitude about divorce. God hates divorce. Let me be clear about that. And so what we're looking at today, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, and this is, a, this is our scripture for today, Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 through 32. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, to better understand what Jesus is talking about here, we're actually going to spend all of our time today in Matthew chapter 19. So go keep flipping, all right, keep flipping. 19 is a bigger number than 5, and so, uh, so keep going, all right? I know, it blew your mind. So anyway, so go to chapter 19, uh, verse 1 through 10 is where we're going to be um, today. So we're going to read this. When you get there, we're going to read this together, and then we're going to break it down together. We're going to go just verse by verse, break it down, and see what Jesus has to say here. So here we go, verse 1. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him. Hang on a second. Look at verse 2 real quick. This is hilarious. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Like, just like, Jesus was so about meeting people's needs and taking care of people, it's an afterthought at this point. You know what I mean? Like, if you had, like, friends, like, I had a friend who stopped and gave a hitchhiker a ride and gave him a meal, and he talked about it for weeks because it was such a, be- a weird thing. Jesus is all about meeting people's needs, so much so that when he heals a large group of people, it's an afterthought. It's like a, oh, by the way, he healed a bunch of people. But anyway, all right, that's free. All right, verse 3. Pharisees came up to him and, and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. So we see in verse 3, a Pharisee's trying to test Jesus and trying to trip him up about divorce. And, and I mean, it makes sense, right? Like a hot button topic, divorce is one of them, right? I'm sure as soon as you, like I, I mentioned divorce, there's some of you who immediately tensed up. And so, and so uh, absolutely, that's what the Pharisee is doing. You're trying to trip Jesus up. Look at verse 4 through 6. Jesus answers his question about divorce, but, but look really closely. How many times has Jesus used the word divorce in his answer of what, divorce, of what the Bible says about divorce? None. What does Jesus do? Jesus goes to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter of divorce is not divorce. The heart of the matter to God is marriage. 
The important thing is not the way out. The important thing is the marriage. That's what God cares about. Um, and so he, he looks at two, he shows two very important and often misunderstood components about marriage in these verses. Look at verse five through six. The two shall become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one flesh. Two big things. One uh, thing that's misunderstood is marriage is not about two parties coexisting, but it's about oneness. Yeah, there's, a, there's a movie called uh, Date Night out, and I want to put a disclaimer, because I mentioned it one time on a Saturday night, and someone watched it, and they were like, there were dirty words in it. Yes, okay, there are, all right, it's PG-13. I apologize, all right? But anyway, in this movie, uh, at the beginning, they're, they're hanging out with a, a married couple, uh, a friend of theirs, and one of them, and the, the guy tells, tells Steve Carell, he says, um, we're getting a divorce, um, and he says, what? No, you guys, you guys get along so well, and you're so happy, and all these things, and he said, you know, what has happened is that um, we basically, that love there, that passion there, that's gone. And, and now we're basically just really excellent roommates. That's what he said. We're really excellent roommates. And in marriage, we all, when we talk about compromise, there's that idea of two parties coexisting. We've just got to make it right? And that's not what marriage is. Marriage is completely about intimacy and knowing one another and giving yourself to one another. It is not about two parties coexisting. The second thing that's misunderstood is that the marriage commitment is also to God and for God, not just you two. Um, when we were married uh, for the, uh, uh, back five years ago this month, we were married, and um, we had these kneeling benches, and um, they look just like this. We didn't get married here, but they look just like this. It, they look like they, um, they're toilet paper holders out of Donald Trump's bathroom, don't they? I mean, really? The gold and the white? Anyway, all right, so we had these as well. Now, ours were facing each other, and, and as we knelt and prayed, I remember um, the prayer, and, and, and it was maybe one of my favorite times with, with my wife, was sitting there on, on this prayer bench with her. And, and as we prayed, the thing that we prayed was, God, don't, it's not like, give us a really big house and give us good neighbors. And God, teach us to uh, help me to pick up my underwear. No, no, it was God like, this is about you. Like you brought us together and we, we acknowledge that. And you have a purpose for it. Don't make this about us. Don't make our marriage about us. Isn't that a weird thing? But that's, 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 just, that's the key. That's the point. Is that these relationships, this marriage, it's, it's not just about you. It's not just about your commitment to one another and how romantic you are. Because we all know this. That goes away. All right? You know what I mean? Like romantic now is, is like I will actually take the trash all the way outside, not just to the garage. All right? Like that's romantic. You know what I mean? Like our anniversary, you know, like I open the garage door. Eh? Eh? You know, I mean, like that was romantic. That goes away. So what's the only thing that lasts? And it's our commitment to God in our marriage. Um, and so look at verse six. It says, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. God has brought it together. I had a friend of mine recently, and unfortunately he's going through with the divorce anyway, but I had a friend of mine recently who was contemplating divorce and he said, we're just not happy anymore and you know, all these things. And I said, look, man, you're not going to have to stand before my church and explain why you're doing what you're doing. You're not going to have to stand before your family and, you know, say, well, I'm divorcing her because of this. And, you know, you don't have to answer to me. I said, but one day you're going to have to stand before God and say, this is why I broke my commitment to you. It's not just a commitment to that other person because sometimes that won't be enough because we're not perfect. It's a commitment to God as well. Recognize that. Recognize that reality. And let me ask you a question. When you break that commitment to the other person, and, I've, and, and I talked to a lot of divorced people this week about this, 
does it ever really break? I mean completely? Or do you always carry the ghost of that person somewhat with you? I never got a, nope, complete break. I always got some sort of residual, some sort of, of, of something hanging on. Um, it's a serious commitment. So the Pharisees ask about divorce, and what does Jesus do? Go to the very heart, and he says, marriage. Stop talking about divorce. Start talking about marriage. Like, that's where the heart is. That's what matters. And so he says, stop looking for a way out and start looking at what your marriage is supposed to be. And so uh, some of you today, you came in here maybe even thinking in your hearts of like, okay, how can I justify this? How can I get out? What will be okay for me to get out? And instead, Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Look back at your marriage, okay? Stop looking at the divorce look at your what can we do in this marriage and so let's look at what God's plan for marriage is and then we can ask the question uh, is this what your marriage looks like is this what you're doing in your marriage and if you are and you're still looking at divorce well then we need to talk again so here we go Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22 through 32 to the wives first, he says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing I want us to remember. Is that submission is the complete opposite of uh, this, this, this type of submission we're talking about is the complete opposite of the curse of the fall. In Genesis 3, one of the curses is, is that we've got struggles in our relationships. It says, wives, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. You know what that means? That means your desire will be to control and run your husband. And so what he's saying is submit to your husband. Now, this submission, let me define it. Submission here that he's talking about is a trusting support. It is a trusting um, support. However, submission to the Savior, that's what he's comparing it to. Submission to the Savior is a submission to life and to joy and to care and to protection and to compassion. So what he's saying, he's not saying submit to an abusive, uh, evil, um, um, uh, uh, chauvinist. That's not what he's saying. He's saying to, your, to your, your Christian husband, give a trusting support as you follow his lead, as he follows Christ's lead. That's what it's saying. Wives, give a trusting support to your husbands. And you go, okay, great, right? Like you just riddled us. Husbands, listen. We don't have it much easier, all right? Check this out, verse 25 through 30. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, uh, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes, cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Check this out. Three things that he says about husbands. One, verse 25, it says that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Christ sacrificed for his bride. So husbands, we are to sacrifice for our bride. Not being selfish and putting our, our needs and our desires up, up front, but instead sacrificing. The second thing he tells us to do, verse 28 through 29, as your own body, give it the utmost care and protection. And we've been called to give our wives the utmost care and protection. I don't mean that if there's a knock on the door, like you jump up and grab your baseball bat. That's not what I'm talking about. But I mean the utmost care and protection. Protect her feelings. Protect, protect her, her, her spirit. 
Do you understand? Care and protection. And look at what else, verse 29. He says, uh, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Nourish and cherish your wife. You know what nourishes her spirit. You know. I don't have to tell you. I can't tell you. All, all women are different. And for you single guys out there, you're like, what? I know. Seriously, it's, it's, it's hard. But anyway, all women are different. You know what nourishes your wife's spirit. Nourish her. Cherish her. It's easy to say, and then it's, it's, it's difficult and different in practice. Like, my wife is out of town this weekend, and, and it, it wasn't planned, okay? So you guys are like, they're talking about marriage and divorce, and Angel's not here. Like, no, all right? It wasn't planned like that. But she's out, she's visiting some friends out of town, and, and um, you know, it's one of the things, she's like, do you care if I go? For, I'll be gone three weeks, or three days. And I was like, oh, it's three days, no big deal, you know? Like, we married five years, whatever. And like, I miss her so much. You know, and it's that, that, <laughs> it's, I, I didn't do it for the awe, all right? But when she's home tonight, I'll cherish her. I will cherish that time with her, and I will nourish her. I'm sorry that it took her being out of town three days for me to have that realization. But we're called to nourish our wife's spirit to encourage her and to care for her and to cherish her. You never harm something you cherish. Don't harm her. Cherish her. So that's what we've been called to do. Let's look at the summary of this. Verse 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husbands. Otherwise, husbands, love and cherish and honor your wife. And wives, give, be a trusting support to your husband. Now, let me ask you a question. So Jesus puts the emphasis back on marriage instead of divorce. Does this marriage sound like it's heading towards divorce? So let me ask you a question. If you're contemplating divorce, you're contemplating separating. Wives, are you that trusting support? Husbands, do you love your wife as Christ loves the church? Do you nourish her spirit? Do you honor her? Do you cherish her? Do you protect her? Are you leading her? These are the questions we have to ask ourselves about marriage. Um, and these are the questions that he puts in front of us. And so maybe some of you are looking and contemplating a way out today. And instead you need to look back at your marriage and say, what have I done to, to save this? What have I done to, to fulfill my call as a husband or a wife? So the Pharisees, they go back to divorce. They go, okay, good, good job, Jesus. Back to my question, all right? Uh, verse 7, he says, they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? And back to our original scripture, Matthew 5, 31, he says that it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give a, cer a certificate of divorce. So why did Moses give them a way out? Moses said, if you give them a certificate of divorce, you're cool. Why did he give them a way out? Look at verse 8. He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. So because of your hardness of heart, what he's saying is that, look, I knew how far your hearts were from me. I knew how deceitful and wicked they were. I knew you were going to get divorced. So why give them a certificate? Why give them that way out? Because it was the grace of God that did that. And you go, the grace of God? Back in, the, in, in these times in the Old Testament, a woman who was divorced and sent out of her husband's household was completely dishonored and had no, it was completely shameful. She was no longer a virgin, so to be remarried was pretty much out of the question. And so to take care of herself uh, uh, and economically, to take care of herself and, and to even have any social status, she had none. But what the certificate did was it gave it back to her. 
because she could say, I have been, uh, uh, I've been released by my husband. And so it restored some sort of honor to her. It was the grace of God that allowed that to happen. But Jesus says, that's not how it's supposed to be. Divorce was so flippant. And you say divorce is flippant today? Divorce was so flippant in the Old Testament. Josephus, the Jewish, the Roman Jewish historian we have, uh, Josephus said that men could literally divorce their wives if they saw a better looking woman. Now, that would be impossible in my case. I'm recording this, so... That would be, we can cut the laughter out, right? That was, in, that, anyway, they could divorce their wife if they saw someone better looking, all right? And Josephus actually divorced his wife who gave him three children because he didn't like her manners. Seriously. That's how flippant divorce was. And so uh, this certificate was the grace of God to these women who were really victims of their husbands. And so uh, he says, though, from the beginning, this was not so. This is not how I designed it. This is not what's best for you and what's best for your family. Um, and so we see, doesn't Jesus give us some exceptions, though? You say, isn't there some way out? Aren't there some exceptions? I want to I go through three, I believe, biblical um, exceptions to, to, to this. And, and then I want to say something about all three of them. The first exception, look at verse 9. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And look at verse 32. You can see right there in our original scripture. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality. So sexual immorality, giving yourself to someone else in that way is seen as an exception. Look at the second exception, 1 Corinthians 7.15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. What he's saying, if you're married to a non-believer and they desert you, let them go. It says you have been set free. Do you see the language it uses there? You've been set free, you're not enslaved. What that's implying is that you never should have been married to them in the first place. And so anyway, he's saying that you've been set free. So we see that as an exception. The third exception is not explicitly named, but I believe it's here. And that's in the case of abuse. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes us only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I never want to take light of reading into the scriptures. However, the life that God has given us and the life that Christ has given us and the love that he has for us, I do not believe in my heart of hearts that God would want you to sit in a marriage and be abused and watch your children be abused. So if that's you today, you get out today. You come, we'll help you. You come to us, we will help you. You get out today. Now let me say this about all three of those. Although it may be permissible, it is not required. We've been forgiven so much. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. God's ultimate plan is a plan of peace and reconciliation. So we need to be a people of peace and reconciliation. Can God work in your hearts and heal a marriage that has been plagued with sexual immorality? Absolutely. Can't God work in the heart of an, of an unbelieving spouse and, uh, and bring them to a saving knowledge of Jesus and heal that marriage? Absolutely. Can't God take the heart of someone who is abusive and change that into a soft and tender heart, seeking him and not seeking their own ways and heal that relationship? Absolutely. Absolutely he can. So although it is permissible, we are a people of reconciliation and we are a people of peace. It is not required. Okay? So we need to think differently about that. But let me say that one more time about abuse. If you're being abused, if your children are being abused, you get out today. 
I'm not saying that that relationship's over today. I'm just saying you get out today. You stay away today. You get some help. So you might say, okay, so, okay, I see some exceptions. I see, yeah, okay, it's not, it's permissible, but it's not required. Can I get remarried? I really didn't want to talk about this today because it's not really the point of today, but, but I, I have to answer this question because I know it's going to come up. Can I be remarried? Look at verse 9. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So what that implies is that the victim can be remarried. However, the offender cannot be. And you say, like, hey, wait, wait a second, wait. You're saying that God might be calling me to singleness, that I've messed up my marriage and I, I walked out on somebody and now God might not want me to be remarried? Yes, I am saying that because that's what the scriptures say. And, and here's why. And you go, there's no way God would call me to singleness. Are you kidding me? Can, can't God do great things in second marriages? Yeah, he can. Absolutely he can. Is that God's perfect plan for your life? I don't believe so. And you say, how can you say that? That's so harsh. I'm a product of that. That's how I can say that. My, my parents, my, my father's in his second marriage. But do I believe that by, the, by what the word says that he should have married my mother? Probably not. You say, well, well you wouldn't be here. Maybe not. However, for the glory of God, God has his plan. God has what's best for us. But can't God do great things through those marriages? Yeah, absolutely can. God can use all things for good. And God has healed my parents. He's forgiven my parents. He's restored my parents. And now they are a shining example of the love of Christ in, in one another. Absolutely he can do great things. Was that God's perfect plan? No. I don't believe so. And you say, but God can't be calling me to singleness? Absolutely. 1 Corinthians 7, 32-35. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any strain upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. He's saying, look, so when you're married, that takes a lot of your attention. That takes a lot of your time. So maybe it's best that you're single because you don't have to worry about taking care of that family. You can just be worried about spreading the message of Jesus. You can be worried about being devoted to him for once. And so, yeah, absolutely God can call you to singleness. And is it like a death sentence? No, it can be a wonderful thing that God might do in your life. And you say, man, are you, this is God's standard for marriage. This is God's standard for, this is so ridiculous, so hard. His disciples said the same thing. Look in verse 10. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man in, with his wife, it's better not to marry. All right, Jesus, like that's tough, okay? Like this is a tough thing to take. And what does Jesus say? Jesus said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. And look at the end of verse 12. Let the one who's able to receive it, to receive it. He's saying, if you're able, it's difficult. It's a big call. It's a big deal. If you're able to do it, then do it. But if you're not, don't. It's better that you don't. It's better that you devote yourself purely to the Lord and don't. And this is a big, big deal. And you say, these are like strict rules. That's not what this is. The law of God, and I've said this so much, the law of God is not about begrudging submission. It's about our joy. 
He knows what's best for us. He doesn't want you to be like, okay, I'll do what you want. You know what I mean? Like, no, that's not what it's about. He wants us to rejoice in the joy of his laws because his laws bring us freedom. And you say, laws bring me free? Absolutely. There are consequences and there is baggage to sin. Think about it. Think about if you, uh, if you, if you ignore his teachings on marriage and you didn't serve like you're called to do in marriage, what does that marriage look like? Is it a joy or, it is ba- or is it baggage? Exactly. The laws of God are not about our begrudging submission, but are about our joy. And you say, why does he care about our joy? Like, what in the world is that about? He cares about my joy. He cares about our joy because he loves us. He loves us. One of my favorite pictures about marriage, when we talk about marriage in the scriptures, is that God uses that same picture to talk about his love for us. In Ephesians 5 that we already read, it says, verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. We are his bride. If, if I can real quick, I, 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 we're, we're going to leave right when I finish this, but when, if I can real quick, I, I kind of want to remember my wedding day. I, I love to think about it, and, and it was five years ago this month, and um, and, and I, can, I, I love this picture that, that, that Christ is our, is our groom because when I, when I hear that, I can wrap my head around that love and that devotion because I am a groom. I, I've been there. And so I remember we started out over here and, and there were some chimes that went off and we walked in and I walked in with all my groomsmen. And I'm telling you, when I'm walking up, I'm thinking the entire time, like I've just got Angela's face in, in my brain, all right? And, and I haven't seen her the whole day. Like we took the pictures before, but we didn't see each other. Like we have pictures on either side of a collar. Uh, I didn't get to see her uh, before and she was just and I was thinking I bet she is just gorgeous and I'm just going to fall out and so I'm walking and and in my mind I'm just longing to see what Angela looks like and longing to see her and so we walk over and I stop and there's an aisle right here and I just stop and I wait and then the doors open and here comes my bride and she is beautiful just absolutely beautiful in that moment I didn't long for anything more in this life than to see her and to be with her That same devotion that I had for my wife in that moment is the same devotion Christ has for you. In Romans 5, 6, there's a beautiful verse, and it says this. It says that while we were still powerless in our sin, we couldn't do anything for ourselves. At just the right time, Christ died for us. Do you know what that means? That means he longed for us, and he says, there's sin, they're, they're, they're fooled, and they're, they're pulled in, and they're far from me, and I want to be with them. I'm going to go get them. My plan is I'm going to get them. They're powerless. I'm going to go to them. They might not come to me, but I'll go to them. I know that feeling. I know that longing. If Angela had stopped at the end of that row, I'd have knocked people over to get to her. I longed for her. In the same way, God, as our bridegroom, longs for us. And while we were powerless, he came to us. And then we walk over here, and uh, it's, it's me here, Angela, and Angela's dad. And uh, so, <laughs> my bad. So anyway, uh, and so he, he, um, he steps back, and, and he, he puts her arm in mine, and, and we walk up, and we walk up to the altar, and then we stand here, and, and we're exchanging vows. And, and what I'm, I'm saying to her, I'm saying, um, I will love you, and I will protect you, and I will honor you, and, and I will be, uh, I'll be with you through no matter what's going on in our life. And Christ says the exact same thing to us. He's saying, I'm with you, and I love you, and nothing can separate me from you. One of my favorite moments was, um, and I was looking forward to this more than anything, and I know you're thinking, the kiss. No, jerks. No, but one of my favorite moments was 
they turned us this way, and we're standing there, and there are all these people, and um, they said, I, it's now my privilege to present to you for the first time, Mr. and Mrs. Grant Nixon. And um, that was a great moment. I was, she was declared my bride, and she was now stuck. No, but she was, <laughs> she was declared mine in that moment. She was my bride. She was Angela Morella before she belonged to another family. I belong to another family, but now we're one and she's mine. Romans 5.1 says that you have been declared righteous by what Jesus has done. You were once far from God, but he loved you and he longed for you as a husband. And he came to you and he gave himself up for you. And now if you only believe, you'll be here. You're declared righteous before God. That means when he sees you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see the screw-up you've always been. He sees you as you are meant to be. He sees you as righteous. He sees you as perfect. He sees you as his bride. And he loves you. What's the responsibility of the bride? If that's our God, if that's our groom, what's the responsibility of our bride? Ephesians 5.24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. You know what that means? A love like that shouldn't be hard to submit to. So what he's saying is trust that God's ways are better in all things and enjoy that. Enjoy that he loves me and I know that he loves me and I know he'll guard me and I know that he's taking care of me and he'll never guide me to harm because he will cherish me. Understand that love. That love is for you. So there are people this morning who need to trust his guidance in, in how to be a husband or a wife. And maybe you need to recommit that part of your life to each other and, and, and to God, that, that commitment you've made to God. There's someone here that need to trust his guidance and healing in life after divorce. Uh, there's some of you who've been wounded and uh, some of you are victims of divorce. Some of you are the offenders in divorce. And so some of you need to come find forgiveness today. Some of you need to give forgiveness to someone today. Um, but, but trust God's healing and restoration in that. He loves you deeply. You say, but I've messed up. I've divorced. I, I, I ran out of my... He loves you deeply. He longs for you. That's our God. That's the God we serve. Some of you need to trust his guidance and his healing in a hurting marriage. Some of you need to stop looking towards divorce and start looking back into marriage and see God's plan for your marriage. And some of you, like Chad, need to trust him for the first time. Some of you need to accept that love. That longing love I just described, maybe that never crossed your mind that God feels that for you. Maybe that never crossed your mind that he, he, he loves you in that way. He longs for you in that way. He wants to guide you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to know you. Maybe that never crossed your mind. So right now, we're going to have the, the bands coming up right now. As they come up, we're about to stand and sing. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be down here, and, and Brother John will be here, and whatever. And listen, if, if you need to trust that love for the first time, come down. Come down and talk to us. Come grab us and say, I need that love you were just talking about, that, that God, I need to trust that today. Some of you, maybe, maybe you, maybe you've got some unforgiveness in your heart. Maybe you've been a victim of divorce, and you need to trust God's healing. Maybe you need to come forward, um, and we'll pray with you about that. Maybe some of you, maybe you couples need to come down for, front and use, this, use these front steps as an altar to say, God, we're recommitting our roles as husband and wife to you. We've been so unfaithful. And maybe you've been selfish. Maybe God hasn't even been in the equation. Maybe you need to recommit your marriage to him today. I don't know. I don't know what God's going to do in your hearts today, but I know he's doing something. I know he's here. So I know he's doing something.
So you use this time. If you need to sit in your seat and pray, you need to kneel at your seat and pray, you need to come up here, you need to pray on here, you need to pray with us, whatever. You do what God's telling you to do in this time. This is your time to respond to Christ. Okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your love for us is unbelievable. We cannot fathom the depths of your grace and your mercy and your love. That the creator of the universe would long for me? That the creator of the universe would long for any of us? God, if there are people in this room that they don't know that love because they've never trusted you, they've never had a relationship with you, they've never said your ways are better, not mine, God, bring them to their knees today. Bring them forward. Bring them to trust that love, to give themselves to that love. God, if there are people in here uh, who are in a hurting marriage, God, restore them today. May they recommit their hearts to their roles as husband and wife and as their roles uh, to you as husband and wife. God, if there are people in here who are divorced and they're hurting and they're broken, God, bring them restoration. Restore them. Show them that they're loved. Show them that they're forgiven, that they're new in you. God, if there's any guilt over, over something like this in their life, God, may they know today that they are loved and longed for by a, by a forgiving and gracious God who's waiting to forgive them, waiting to restore them. May that shame not keep them from you. So God, just pour your love out on us, wherever we are. We love you. We thank you. You're not about begrudging submissions. You're not about checklists. You're about life. You're about relationships. We thank you for that. Move in this time.